Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark Moore, and the rest of this introduction is going to sound very familiar to people who were here last week. I'm joined here today by a guest I've really been looking forward to talking to. Not only is he an academic from Western University, he's also one of the hosts of Hammer Time Horror, a movie podcast that looks at the catalog of Hammer Film Productions. Welcome! To Mr. Tom Stewart. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. I am Hammer Time host number two. Number one in our hearts. Well, thank you. Screw you, we Riley. We won't tell Riley. <laughs> Is there anything cool you've been watching on Netflix recently, Tom? Well, Netflix tends to be a guilty pleasure machine for me. So I tend to watch mostly just reruns of Gilmore Girls and X-Files. But Nothing um, wrong with that. <laughs> I recently just got into Wallander, um, which I watched the first episode of years ago when it first came onto Netflix and then just got back into it because I'm in the mood for really beautiful, really disturbing detective fiction. So I guess Longmire will be next, but uh, Wallander right now. The movie we're here to talk about this week is from 2011, directed by Adam Wingard. We're going to be talking about your next. Before we get into it, I should let you know that today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London, Ontario's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. So Tom, should we take a look at how Netflix describes this movie? Oh God, I think we really ought to. It's not that bad. Really? It's not bad, yeah. So first, the hover description. When you hover over the title, it says, If this family would stop fighting, they might actually hear something, like the masked men coming to cut them to bits. Yep, that's definitely the defining aspect of this movie, is that people aren't listening. I like that one, though. <laughs> it's, I feel like for somebody who's seen the movie, that's cute. Yeah, it's true. I was listening to your Poltergeist episode, and that one was probably the worst that I've heard. It's the house of their dreams, or their nightmares. Right, yes. <laughs> Netflix was working overtime on that one. When you click on the title, the description changes to a shy girl goes to her new boyfriend's family reunion and must join their bloody fight for survival when a gang of masked hooligans invades the party. That sounds much more accurate. I like that one. That one's good. But <laughs> <laughs> is hooligan strong enough? <laughs> like, I'm picturing a couple guys yeah. drunk after a soccer match. <laughs> yeah, it, that's... Just coming to, like, break <laughs> chandeliers or something. Yeah, just to, to scrawl epithets on all of their walls. But, yeah, no. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> the genres this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are thrillers, horror movies, slasher, and serial killer movies. Okay. Very appropriate. Yeah. And the moods assigned are violent and suspenseful. I always find the moods very confusing. Like, are you supposed to be in a violent mood to watch this? <laughs> how, how does that work? Um, I don't even I'm know if they're actually... comedy com isn't one of the genres, actually, because it does seem kind of darkly comedic to me. It is. Yeah, yeah, it is. But in this really unexpected kind of way. Yeah. But we'll it's get, we'll... comedic in the way that Scream is comedic, I would say. Maybe even a bit more so. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So, Tom, why did you pick your next? I picked your next because... Because I could, you're next. <laughs> I could put out a bunch of pretentious reasons in regard to, like, I, I, I like this movie because I study horror, and this is doing some really interesting things with the horror genre. It's doing some very interesting things with the idea of the final girl and feminism, and it's touted as a feminist movie when it, I don't think, really is. But deep down, I just really enjoy watching this movie. This, mm -hmm. is, this is a guilty pleasure movie for me. I really, really enjoy it. Okay, well, you, you kind of got off to the same start that I wanted to talk about. Mm. So, and I mean, the Netflix description puts this in the slasher genre. Right, yeah. So it certainly starts off that way. And at first, I'll, I'll be totally honest that I was like, why the hell does Tom like this movie so much? Because <laughs> it takes, a, I'm not going to do the thing that we did last week with Riley where we start like fractioning out yes. the movie. But <laughs> for the first about half of the movie, it does follow a pretty conventional 100%. slasher yes. slasher formula so i was like i was like why and then by the end i was like oh that's oh, why yeah this makes sense <laughs> yeah that's why <laughs> but it, it does take its time to get there yeah it's, it really does it's uh in fact the turn i was interested in trying to figure out where the turn is and the turn is to the minute almost exactly right in the middle of the film so if we're doing fractions it is half and half where it's half a horror film and half something else so what would you consider to be the turn of the movie because there are certainly different points where it kind mm -hmm. of veers off the path like one of them being the fact that Aaron reveals reveals herself to not be 
just a, a hopeless just victim a, a hopeless kind of regular slasher yeah girl. so so i mean that's kind of point one where you're like oh this is going in a different direction yeah but then as we find out things about the plot and where where things are going like where the the, the agatha christie-esque yes mystery is finally revealed <laughs> you know that is that what you're talking about like yeah that's the halfway um, point do we want to get into the plot first or shall we just shall we just go straight to the heart of the thing okay sure i mean if uh yeah because i think that there is a a like a real clear bifurcation where i don't want to be pretentious but i'm going to use words like bifurcation Bifurcation, yes (laughs) as i swill my brandy where there is a a kind of a moment where the home invader comes into the home and it's filmed as incredibly frightening and then suddenly aaron is shown to be much more competent than one would imagine her to be and I, i see that as kind of the the moment at which the film breaks in half and goes from a just a thriller horror to a fantasy of competence where mm-hmm. it starts acting out what everybody says they would do in a thriller oh well i would have just started booby trapping the house or something like that <laughs> right. and it just starts filling in all of those things that we all think to ourselves in our armchairs that we would do if we were in that situation right so just for a bit of plot summary in case people haven't yeah. seen this then so the the basis of this story is that it's a a wealthy family retirement age has yeah. called together all of their children and their children's partners and spouses and boyfriends and girlfriends to to come together for a dinner yeah they're having a dinner to celebrate their um god 36 years of anniversary i think yeah yeah and as they sit down to dinner a, a home invader or yes. or what's revealed later a, a to be a team of home invaders a team of home invaders uh starts killing them just yeah goes goes nuts and they've, starts they've booby trapped the house they start firing arrows into no bolts oh bolts right bolts. it's a crossbow i'm sorry they start firing into the family and things go south very very quickly right well that didn't take too long no nice. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so into this like into this family we've got this really interesting character aaron who is a kind of outsider to the family who is right. the girlfriend of one of the sons right and uh, so is the point that you're referring to the point where because she's already kind of proven that she has some perhaps some some Girl Scout skills where she's yeah. where she's got the idea of she's much more competent than the rest of them. Right. She's um, she's brought into action by danger instead of cowering away from it. Yes. And it's it's kind of inspiring to the point where you're like, hmm, well, this seems a bit out of character. And yeah. I, I was honestly wondering, oh, is she maybe in on this is, yeah oh, is that part really of where this point. i is, hadn't even considered that I, I kind of assumed right from the beginning that there was going to be somebody who yes. is implicit in it because yeah. otherwise why is this happening to this otherwise really boring family right exactly and that might have not been the case for the audience at the time because this movie came out quite close to the purge which has a similar kind of home invasion but it's completely random as i understand mm-hmm. um whereas this film is it's very much a part of a kind of almost Agatha Christie kind of plot dialed up to 11. The moment that I'm referring to is explicitly when one of the home invaders breaks through the window, dragging the corpse of one of the people with them. There's this uh, kind of very slow-mo shot of him looking absolutely giant over the cowering Aaron, and everything is in slow-mo. It's very frightening, and then suddenly everything speeds up. She attacks him with a meat meat tenderizer the meat tenderizer and is it called uh, a meat hammer no i think tenderizer is the actual word i think think that's what she does (laughs) meat hammer sounds like a metal band to me um or uh, anyway (laughs) um and and just and puts him down so supremely quickly that it is in itself rather frightening right it's almost like a born identity kind of moment where she reveals herself to be this upper echelon of yes. survivalist <laughs> she is so competent that it is in itself unnerving to right. watch her go through this movie right and that's the point and okay so i agree because yeah. that's the point at which i was that's where i was on board where yes. i wasn't just hey that's kind of weird that they're doing this thing with this yeah. girl i was like i'm into this movie now where you have this character that you've been following all along she's been kind of endearing you've seen her trying to ingratiate herself to her boyfriend's mother who she seems to have absolutely nothing in common yeah. with and she's so excited to be sent on an errand and she's very charming yes absolutely and uh but then that turn happens and it's not just that she pulls it off it's mm-hmm. not just that she hits him in the leg with the meat tenderizer which i've now looked up and that is what it's called okay good <laughs> thank god for google but it's it's the ferocity and the sound 
Yeah. The sound makes that scene so awful that you feel this weird thing inside yourself where you're really proud of her and you're really cheering her on, but you're recoiling at the same time. Like there's attraction and repulsion, not attraction. (laughs) No, but attraction as in like, we want to identify with her. We are empathetic with, with her situation. And we, we want to identify with her almost to the point that we would like to imagine that we would be that competent and that level headed. But of course we wouldn't be. Yeah. It's this, this awesome and I say that meaning like referring to awe. Mm-hmm. It's this awesome revulsion because the sound that it makes, not just the first hit, but when she keeps just tenderizing his yes. head with this hammer in the back of the skull and making this disgusting, crunching, sloshing, yep. awful sound yep. that you just, you're not quite sure how to feel. <laughs> and it goes on for far longer than one would be comfortable with. Right. Yeah. And you also you at no point do you blame her for no. doing that cuz one she wants to make sure that this guy is dead and two she's she's dealing with some emotions yeah. <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what's really interesting is that this film does something really great in that moment and it actually runs all the way through the film where whenever uh Sharni Vincent's character Aaron is in trouble, the film slows down. And it goes, it, you have a slow-mo moment. Um, and whenever she is reacting competently, the film is slightly sped up. And I think what it's doing is kind of, at once it's showing you kind of reveling in the horror of when she is uh, knocked, on, knocked off her feet and in the competency of her ability to take down these invaders. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's allowing you to kind of get into her skull um, in a way different than how she does for the invaders, um, <laughs> where you are able to see her thinking through something's gone wrong. How do I deal with this? And then her just playing on her instincts, um, which is that sped up moment where everything seems so instinctual for her. She's been so well trained mm-hmm. that this is just muscle memory at this right. point. Right. I think a lot of it is instinctual rather than planning it out yeah. for sure. Because if you compare this oddly enough, to Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes movies. Yeah, actually, that's what I was thinking of, too. Right, where you have he, where he plots out his entire fighting strategy right. for whatever's going to happen, and it shows you all of that in super slow motion or in still frame, even. Yeah, and, and narrates what his thought process is. Right, and then acts it out. Yes. But Aaron seems to live entirely in that second part in moments of crisis. Right. And what I especially loved is that it shows her in that mode, even when she's not successful, like she's not yeah. perfect. No, like there's there's one scene where she throw where uh, one of the lurkers, one of the masked men, sneaks up on her, and she doesn't realize that he's there, and she still has the meat tenderizer in her hand, and she ideal movie Aaron yes would would just throw it, bang him in the head, and the the whole scene and is over. That's it. But she she throws it out of that instinct misses by a wide margin and then instinctively dives out the window with no i mean if you thought about it you wouldn't be able to do it you wouldn't be able to talk yourself into it (laughs) but dives out the window falls however many or two stories stories. onto a piece of glass that is a long piece of glass she pulls out of her and then the other one is when she's in the kitchen in the final confrontation where just again instinctively she grabs the pot off the stove and right. goes to throw oh, it yeah. at him. Yeah. And yeah, she's not perfect. She's not, yeah. she isn't superhuman, or at least the way that we're meant to read it, because all of this, I don't, I don't know how yeah. competent somebody could actually be. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's has highly trained instincts. She's not a superhero. Yes. And that's, I what, think, that's what made it really cool for me. I think that's one of the really interesting points is that like in that way, it's playing off of what slasher films often do, which is to a certain extent, slasher films rely on tropes like the final girl where there's this one girl who's going to survive and she's kind of going to survive because she's the girl that's going to survive. And that's, and the film just kind of orchestrates this to happen. Um, But it strips her, the fear comes from stripping her of all of her abilities to survive. And so you're always worried for her. This film does a similar sort of thing, but because she is so competent, it reads more like just trying to level the playing field between these five people, six people who are trying to kill her and and her who is just so supremely good at this that she needs to be losing a lot of blood she needs to have everybody ganging up on her just for her to be 
almost outmatched by mm-hmm. these people. Yeah, that was that was an incredible moment. Was at, at one point when she I forget what she's doing. She's maybe run outside, or maybe she's run back into a mm-hmm. closet or something. But you see one of the masked men, one of the hooligans, <laughs> um, walking to pursue her and dragging his leg because he's been stabbed he's in the leg. He stepped on a nail, right? He stepped yeah. on the nail, so he's he's hobbled. Yeah, and at this point even though she doesn't know it, we know that this is now a four-on-one situation. Yeah. And you almost sympathize with the with the, the murderers. Yeah. Because you know something really awful is going to yeah, happen to them. Yeah, you know that they are going to die in an extremely unpleasant way. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is played up to the point that by the end, she is the f- kind of frightening figure. We get this moment in the final basically the final climactic fight in the kitchen where somebody makes a noise, Z makes a noise, and we get a shot of Aaron's eyes looking up. And it is this kind of bestial, terrifying moment where you know Z is about to get it. Mm -hmm. And Aaron has become almost frightening at this point because she is just so good at this yeah it's her carry moment where yeah very much so yeah she's she's unleashed she's no longer yeah she's no longer holding any kind of pretense of civility she's like this uh, this is me at my refined survival self yeah and you see that at the end where she kills off her boyfriend because it's revealed spoilers that he was you know in on it Mm -hmm. and he asks her why and she responds why the fuck not because at that point that's what she is now i don't know about that oh okay yeah i don't know if that's so much about where she's at Mm. or just about how he presents to her the options of well either you can go along with this and we can be rich or i'm gonna go to jail yeah and at that point she's just deciding neither of those options are good enough for what you deserve right so now i'm gonna shiv you in the neck with a screwdriver or whatever no it's a knife it It is is the the knife knife. yeah it's a kitchen knife yeah i think that's that's really interesting i think that was more about her passing judgment on him yeah that scene at the end because 20 minutes into the (laughs) podcast is the best place to talk about the end this is where we're doing it Um, (laughs) that's one of my favorite scenes and it's because of crispin's performance or he's uh, so good at that moment or at that monologue uh aj bowen as crispin i should say his performance at that moment is one of the highlights of the movie because he's so clueless yes and so wrapped up in himself in this and you know we've already seen that there many other people in his family see him as this pretentious academic who's wrapped up in his own business (laughs) and he reveals himself that that's absolutely true yeah in this really gross self-labeling way he's like well i couldn't possibly be around for this stuff i'm a (laughs) i'm a pacifist and and you know when he's thinking it he's capitalizing the p oh yeah patting himself on the back and he just can't comprehend why she would be upset yeah. about this whole situation because you know i was i was looking out for you this whole time and she was going to survive so it must be fine yeah just, just <laughs> no respect for the trauma that he's put her through and no and how dangerous it would be to put someone in that situation and it's it's perfect and he deserves it he, oh 100 percent. like there is within the space of this movie that is exactly how he should end up it makes perfect sense i think that her transformation toward the end of the movie though i read it as a way of talking about how horrifying it would be if we actually did fulfill on all of the things we say we would do when we're watching a horror movie oh don't go in there that's so stupid don't do that don't do this don't do that I would do this. And quite often when we say I would do this, I would have just, I would have killed the guy. I mean, you just, you just have to make sure that the killer's dead. You can't wander off. But when we actually see that happen, it is rather horrifying to see how a horror fan would react to a, <laughs> an actual horror situation with competency. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that it's kind of taking up something like Scream, where it's a kind of postmodern discussion of a genre of the rules of a genre and what it would look like if those rules were bent toward having the final girl just be far far better than the killers so along with this being within and also breaking out of the the genre that it belongs to Mm -hmm. i felt at the beginning that the acting in this movie was noticeably bad (laughs) <laughs> particularly with the, what i what i call the grown-ups like yeah the, the mom and the, the dad. mom and the dad um, particularly the dad the dad is 
right not great and again this was me kind of putting trust in you mm-hmm. despite this is actually the first time that we've <laughs> talked to each other but i was i was just kind of like well tom wouldn't have picked this if this was just a conventional slasher movie so is this bad on purpose like is this going right. to say something so is this supposed to be putting us in the frame of this movie is set up so conventionally that it includes the convention of it doesn't really matter if you have good acting in it because it's going to be more about the the splatter and the gore i think that is that maybe giving it too much credit i think that might be giving it too much credit but to be fair this movie is clever to almost a fault um and that might be what they're doing like in terms of clever to to almost a fault i'm thinking of moments like so this this movie begins with a sequence that is straight out of a regular slasher film um, where two people are having sex. So honest, the red flags already for a slasher film. You can't have sex in a slasher film, as Scream has taught us. And then they get killed. But there is a moment just before they get killed where outside are some wind chimes that are made of forks and spoons with the obvious end to that set is a knife and they end up getting stabbed to death we end up seeing the knife in the next shot and so that kind of like it's so clever that it ends up revealing things before they actually happen so that's where i'm kind of thinking that i'm willing to give it some credit just because they're clearly not in it to maintain suspense they're clearly not in it to do an actual horror film they're in it to comment on horror films mm-hmm. and so maybe i don't know the act the acting is bad though there are some standouts like sharni vincent is a standout the guy who plays crispin i think is actually is quite good but the rest yeah, so it, it, I, <laughs> part of the reason that that stuck with me is because throughout the rest of the movie like as the movie goes along i felt that less and less so i yeah. don't know if that's because certain people got eliminated so yeah. proportionately the acting got better or if it was maybe okay now we're replacing that with this new thing that we're doing yeah and it might be that it's just that the director had an actual impulse to direct them uh, other than being a family drama but i think you're right that there is a certain pastiche that is going on mm-hmm. of bad b-movie acting right. and i think the dialogue has part to do with it as well because so when aubrey and paul the parents when they're driving up to this to this house together you know one of the lines that they talk about is is painful it's when she talks about how how disappointing it is that they're going to have neighbors that this man has moved in next door and he's oh, he's yeah. going to be all around and paul says well you know we're so isolated up here it'll be nice <laughs> to have some company it was like really really we're so isolated <laughs> in here. Like yeah no it's extraordinarily obvious and yet as soon as you get into the actual action of the film there are still those obvious lines but they're there to serve a point like felix the young son who's in on it keeps having those obvious lines but there it's because he knows what's going on and he's bragging about it right when he has that thing where he talks about oh well maybe they have one of those cell phones jammers (laughs) and he he talks It turns out that he's bragging about the good deal that he got on Amazon. They're totally illegal, but you can buy them for $30. (laughs) And then we see him walk out and turn it off. Yeah. So in that case, yeah, I think maybe you're right that this is a kind of pastiche that they're trying to get across. And as soon as we start getting into the various turns and twists or revelations, as we as you guys did on the last podcast, those start becoming more natural and and more clever and a little bit more entertaining rather than just cheesy horror dialogue. Yeah, like you start off rolling your eyes and then you're still rolling your eyes but high-fiving the person next to you at the same time. Exactly, like it, it yeah. It feels like an important flavor yes. to the thing when yeah. it becomes whatever it is that it becomes later. Stepping back from the meta side of things for, right. for a second, in terms of just what's actually on the screen, something that I thought they nailed appropriately was the whole family dynamic like mm-hmm. of them sitting down at the dinner table and how well each of the characters got their their gimmick across. Yes. <laughs> um, like they're, they've all been having the same fights since they were little. Yes. They're just having the same argument across the same table. They're being chastised by their parents in the same way for doing it. Everybody knows which 
parent to appeal to in a specific moment everybody knows each other's buttons you know they make fun of crispin for being fat when he was younger and i'm not fat anymore (laughs) like just these these hot button topics it's not your face that's fat it's all the fat that you've got on you yeah jesus really it actually kind of reminded me of punch drunk love and in, in talking which about. i haven't seen yet okay. but i, I heard it. your conversation um so there was part of that where there's again it's a family dinner and where yeah. everybody's kind of picking on each other or everybody's picking on barry adam sandler's character in that and it, it felt in both of these movies there are these very genuine family moments where everybody knows exactly what to say to get under each other's skin especially drake yes because drake is he's he is the prince king of that right and he can't not be a dick and yeah he just like he knows exactly how to needle everybody and how to get underneath everybody's skin but to do it in a way that he's being antagonistic in a way that the parents are just kind of like oh that's just him being him it's better to ignore him yeah he's supremely passive aggressive but it gets underneath everybody else's skin and gets them in trouble for fighting back it was is grown children yeah and it was this great great scene and there was that great moment where the sister brings in her boyfriend who's a documentary filmmaker right and you see drake trying out different strategies to get under his skin right talking about how great commercial work yeah, is and, and how, and how pretty... there must be documentary commercials i'm sure <laughs> i've seen them he's just oh he's such a dick and kelly <laughs> kelly gets in on it too like yeah. she gets her rocks off. this is yeah. uh drake's wife you know she gets off on on helping him you know, she was a, obviously a, a cheerleader in high school yes. and he was on the basketball team or the volleyball team, maybe. Maybe volleyball. He's yeah, pretty, yeah. Volleyball, I would know. say. Um, Swim team, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the the sister you mentioned, Amy, hers was probably like the highlight. Yeah, you're a, you're a grown child thing. The family's just been assaulted. Tariq is dead. I'm pretty sure at this point, Drake has a bolt in his back. Yes. And they're arguing over who should run for the car. Yep. And, and they're she... all upset because they're like, no, I'm the <laughs> fastest one. You've never believed yes. in me. She demands to be recognized as the fastest person in that family, even in this moment where like, her boyfriend is dead at this point and her brother has a bolt in his back. Yeah, but that's but the... still... Well, and even Drake seems to think I'm still the fastest mm-hmm. even with this bolt in my back. Despite the fact that I'm bleeding out. Right. That's the That's the probably the first really delicious dark comedy yes in the movie is where they still keep having these stupid family <laughs> moments despite the fact that they're under yeah. attack and yeah. being brutally murdered and this film does have really good dark comedy in it to the extent that i might given that it kind of sloughs off its horror pretensions about halfway through the film and becomes a thriller i think the the most constant tone in it is as dark comedy, especially with Felix, the younger brother, who is so bad at being a villain and consistently is complaining (laughs) about his choices. Like when he has to stab Drake, his brother, and, oh God, what is the line? I've got it here somewhere. Um, Would you just die already? This is hard enough for me. Like... (laughs) It's something that's happening to him. Yes, exactly. He is the focal point here. This he's is his re- story. He's the real victim in this yes. situation. <laughs> <laughs> and he does the same thing when he's complaining to the to the hooligans that he's hired. Yes. Saying that, how does he say it? Like, I had to stab my own brother. Do you know what that's like? <laughs> and then finding out that one of the hooligans... Is, right. who's dead was the brother of another one of the And he's like, oh my god, hooligans. I'm so sorry. Just this complete tonal <laughs> shift. But him and Crispin are both just so tone deaf to just like, yes. like their their self-identity is completely at odds with yeah. the fact that they're murdering their own families for inheritance. Yeah. I, I think that that's one of the most interesting kind of dark comedy tones in this film is that this is a film that is, or this is a family that is so privileged that they're killing each other over money without any kind of drama beneath it like it it really feels like a family squabble that somebody invited a bunch of assassins to and it is just they're so privileged that it is kind of funny to see them kick the bucket right like they're super waspy right like Mm -hmm. they they say grace as they sit down to dinner and you know there are these expectations of behavior and well their cottage is bigger than any home that i've ever been in so You know, you find out later why that's the case, but as the individuals are getting murdered, they're in in the case of Crispin and Felix especially, there's these non reactions mm-hmm. that come out of those these characters as yeah. their family's being murdered. And 
it's not to the point of setting off red flags that oh these guys are complicit in what's going on you're just kind of like that's how yeah. distanced this yeah cold yeah. waspy family is <laughs> That they're just kind of like, oh, this is really inconvenient for me to be having this happen at this dinner party right now. Why did it have right to now? happen today, of yeah. all days? Yeah. I, I think that that's actually really interesting because it's a home invasion movie, but there's no actual home here. Like a home invasion movie, it deals with the fear of somebody coming into your home and attacking the people you hold dear. And this is not anybody's home. It's their cottage. Um, and in fact, the people who've been living there are the the people who attack them they've been living in the closets this is not really a family anymore they can't they're only a family in the sense that they squabble like a family but there's no kind of real warmth there and it's told through the main character focalized through Aaron who is not a part of either this home or this pseudo family Um, and she really only kind of comes home when she gets to start beating people up and is more at home as the um defender than being a kind of home invasion movie yeah nobody's upset about what's happening to the house i mean even, no even the father this was supposed to be his big retirement project this was supposed yeah. to be like the thing that gave him purpose but crispin criticizes him early on saying that i'm pretty sure that he's never done he's only paid people to do work here yeah he's so even though this is his hobby house like nobody's familiar with the place except no. for what it takes to dress it up to make it look like a proper home yeah and the film does a really good job of making this place seem rather labyrinthine and really, really large. And I like that in the sense that it feels so empty that anybody could be anywhere at any point. And I think that this film has a really good sense of space. Uh, film critics have criticized it because this has been a contentious film. The Roger Ebert crowd uh, with that website absolutely hated it. The AV Club absolutely loved it and then every other critic has kind of gone with one of these camps and the roger ebert crowd has consistently criticized it for you never get a sense of the space of the house and i think that's actually a really good thing for this film because you because you do not have a map of this house laid out in your head it becomes so much more frightening because you don't know where anything is and where anyone is in relationship to anybody else Mm -hmm. it also speaks to aaron's hyper competency that she is able to make a map for herself and she yes. understands how to navigate the place yes in some cases even better than the people who have spent time there yeah very much so and the invaders whose job it is to you know actually know the space and be able to hunt people through it so i i think that aaron deserves a bit more time mm-hmm. uh we talked about her turning point where she she tenderizes the guy's face <laughs> and you made an interesting point saying that she's kind of the acting out the the fantasies or the the presumptive actions of horror fans or slasher fans of you know that's how i read it here's what i would do yeah i might even suggest that she she maybe starts off that way Mm -hmm. but it's never quite yeah that's what i would do it's that's what i would do and (laughs) i hope and then ratcheting it ratcheting it up a notch yeah because yeah. yeah, maybe I would say yeah, I would just hit him with I would just hit him with a hammer, mm-hmm. but not I would clobber him with yes. a hammer eight times, and <laughs> she plays with that point where you're flirting with going too far versus just survival. Yeah, yeah, and there's specific moments where she plays with the cliches of what what people would do, i.e., don't go in there where um, she says we can't run down to the basement, and it's not because we could get trapped in the basement. It's because they could pour gasoline down there and then light us on fire. Like her reasons <laughs> for not doing anything are so beyond what I would have thought of. Right. She makes sure that the killer is definitely dead, but in a way that is so far beyond what I would have done. Um, like, I think that you're right. She does these things that we always say we would do, but then takes it to the nth degree. Right. Um, to a point where we're, it's, it just seems odd. Like the last four people she kills that sounds insane <laughs> wow she kills a lot of people she in kills movie. a lot of, i think she kills more people than uh because she kills five people right she kills God. all three plus all no three. she kills six if you, seven if you include the police officer jesus there are 15 people who die in this movie according to imdb and okay. she does seven of them wow all right jesus christ yeah wow she's, that's that's a little frightening to think okay. about now. So I'm thinking, uh, so we've already talked about that one. So I'm thinking of four in particular. Okay. So one, when she's in the basement and she 
right. attacks the guy. I think it's the one in the lamb mask. Yes, it's the one in the lamb mask, and she distracts him with the camera flashing. Right. Distracts yes. him with the camera, and that's one. That's an example of the taking it to the, the yes. step further, because it's not just that she hits him in the face and knocks him out. It's she crushes the mask into his face, like yes. making the distinction between skull and mask imperceptible. Yeah. Like and I think that's just really horrifying. It is terrifying. Image. And and the camera rests on it for a little too long for you to be comfortable with it. Right. But I think that's a great example of what you're talking about in terms of it takes the competence to a next level because we always say like or horror fans will always say, oh, she should have knocked out the lights in the room so the person couldn't find them. She does that and then she turns another light on, the flash on the camera, to distract him. And that's just an extra turn that I certainly wouldn't have thought of. And a horror fan, for instance, might have said, well, hit him in the head with the blender. Mm-hmm. That same horror fan would not likely have said, now stab him in the head, and then again, plug it in and turn the thing on. Yeah. Like, that was this super hyper, I'm going to go so far as to say kind of campy Yes. murder. That's. Yeah. I mean, it it slides back down after that. That's the peak of insanity. Yeah, like, nothing nothing broaches that level of just disgusting gore. Yeah, and silly too. Yeah, it's like Peter Jackson horror kind yeah. of like and the blood utility being used. In, <laughs> and the blood looks the blood different. doesn't look right. Uh, it doesn't look right for really any of the last few killings. It mm-hmm. has really moved into a kind of discussion of cliches of B movies because the right. blood starts looking very kind of greasy (laughs) (laughs) and then i mean the last two are or the last two that i was thinking of are when she stabs z yeah appropriately should be right through the skull right through the skull which is never like oh you know what you should do is you should stab somebody in the skull i don't know if that's even i guess that's supposed to show how hyped up on adrenaline aaron is at that point but I don't know if that's even possible. The skull it is. is. Is it? It okay. is, yeah. I've been listening to a lot, a lot of uh, My Favorite Murder. Okay. It's this relatively new podcast where um, they self-describe this way, so I think it's fair, but it's basically uh, two valley girls talking about murder. Okay. And like true crime. <laughs> so when you invited me to this studio in the middle of downtown at and, nine o'clock at night. And that's, barricaded this wall. And yeah. barricaded this room up. That's all true. <laughs> yes. But they, yeah, they, they often talk about um, this show, I Survived, okay. where, where people will talk about, yeah, you know, I just, I heard this loud bang and my head really hurt and it turns out I got shot in the head or I Whoa. got stabbed in the head and and things like that. So it is possible to do. It it certainly takes some force to have it happen. But, wow. All but, I want to do is listen to this podcast now. Oh, yeah. It sounds I'll, really good. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, like, it's. I think it's possible, but it's also, it's meant to be grotesque and kind of silly where it's yeah. like, I, you know, like obviously you had to do what you had to do, Aaron, mm-hmm. but Jesus, man, yeah. like, is that how you had to do it? <laughs> and then even with, even with Crispin, like we want to see something bad happen to him, but it's like, okay, you stabbed him in the neck and that seems, it seems like not enough. Yeah. But then when she shivs him in the eye, you're like, yeah. whoa, that's, that's a little beyond the pale. Yeah. Right, it's not even like it's not even poetic. It's just it's just you're stabbing a dude in the eye. <laughs> I like the idea that it would have been more acceptable uh, acceptable if it was ironic, like if there was a reason for it. And actually, right. now that you say it, yeah, I would have been more comfortable with it if she'd cut off his tongue or something. Right. Yeah. Just like I'm tired of hearing what That's you have an to odd say. Shiv. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, it's just <laughs> stabs him in the throat, stabs him in the eye, and lets him fall. To, it, like you're never yeah. you're never upset with her for doing no, it. No. But you're not okay either. Yeah. And that's our heroine, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and what's really interesting is that there is a kind of turn where at the beginning, this cartoonishness in death, or I suppose kind of pictorial way of filming death, is reserved for the invaders. There's a moment where uh, very early, or well, early on in the killing, God, what is Drake's wife's name? Kelly. Kelly. Um, escapes from the house and uh, runs to another house where everybody has died. It's that same house that we saw at the beginning of the film. And uh, she ends up dying and collapsing onto a sofa right beside the guy who died a number of days ago. And then for no reason at all, the guy in the Donnie Darko bunny mask sits down in the middle of them and just rests for a while after all of this hard cardio of killing. And it is filmed in this quite darkly comedic way and slowly as the invaders become more desperate and more hunted 
they lose that cartoonishness. And as Aaron's character becomes more, is revealed to be more and more fierce, she ends up with that cartoonishness. There's an odd kind of gradient or play of B-movie cliche in this film. There's a lot oddly going on in the way that it's talking about earlier B-movies. Just one one last thing with the, the whole horror genre is the whole concept of putting quotes around it, you're next, in that at first, that's you know the first murder that we see. Mm-hmm. We don't even—I don't think we even see the murder happen. We see the the note scrawled in blood. You're yeah. next, and I don't even know if I have anything really to say about this, but just for the fact that that ends up being something of a red herring that you think that yeah, you know, what is this? What is this mo? What is this this strange thing? Because you know, the, the often these killers have this gimmick. So is the idea that like if you see the phrase "you're next," you're always going to die. But then, like, what's the point of that? Do you then yeah. write "you're next" on the other? <laughs> on the other side of the room so that somebody else is going to wander in and like it's actually this really pointless thing that seems like it's hitting the beat of being a calling card but it's really stupid and it makes no sense whatsoever it makes no sense at all but it seems like it does yes it feels right until you think about it and it's later revealed that it is actually nonsense the whole point because it's manufactured right exactly the whole point of it is to put on a show so that they can then say well, look, it was this crazy murderer. Why, how could you possibly suspect me? This happened over there as well. Obviously, this right. person is moving through and and they have this repeated odd uh, pattern of, yeah, this yeah. is their, you know, go after this guy. But so, it, it, so it doesn't titling hold the up. movie, yeah, titling the movie that ends up kind of bleeding it, bleeding that red herring into us watching it where we're expecting it expecting it expecting it and then it just makes that joke all the more obvious i feel like that joke might not land nearly as well if uh if they hadn't titled the film you're next yeah, like, would we would we be watching for it as much were you even looking for it really because no yeah uh, this was something that when i watched it the other day i kind of I went walking the dog afterwards and I was thinking to myself, I was like, ah, you're not, wait a second, (laughs) wait a second, that's nothing, (laughs) what is that supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, because we only see it twice and then at the end, there's that kind of cartoonish, your next title card made out of the blood of the cop and (laughs) it just says nothing. Uh, But that's kind of great. Yeah, I like that. I I think that is kind of, that sums up our entire reaction to this film is that is nothing, but it's kind of great. Yeah. You've done good, Adam Wingard. (laughs) When you saw her setting up that rig with the axe and the... I completely forgot about it. And the brick? Oh, you did forget about it. I completely forgot about it because I am a terrible viewer. As soon as she was setting it up, I was like, shit, that's going to hit Crispin (laughs) or a cop. That's what's going to happen. This seems like she's too on the ball. I think I had that with when she was doing the nails and the boards earlier. And because that, because like there's only a few weapons that she creates that are going to be deployed without her deploying them. And because the nail and the board worked out, it got the bad guy. I just, I kind of, my mind was at rest about the axe. <laughs> I was too trusting, damn it. It just seemed too too elaborate, too perfect. You know, you, you saw her pick up the rope without even looking, or the string without right. even looking at it. She was just on autopilot. <laughs> uh, like something, like I was worried she was going to get hit with it maybe, yeah. but I honestly thought like it was going to be Crispin and that was going to be like the big tragedy where she was going to survive everything, but then Crispin yeah. was going to get it at the end when he came back with it. <laughs> so, I mean, I wasn't wrong. It was but... Chekhov's axe. Yeah. You knew it was going to come out at some point. Uh, the other thing I, well, the one that I forgot about was when Drake showed back up. Which is really great filmmaking in the sense that it reminds you not to forget about Crispin when he disappears and then shows back up again. The, the, the film is really well put together. Mm-hmm. It, it holds together well. But yeah, you're totally right. It, it reminds you that these other, like these other seeds have been planted. She did text the cops. Like yeah. This. There's all these moments that parody earlier famous horror films like there's the axe through the door which is the parody of the shining um there's the and that old slasher kind of thing where the well not old more new slasher kind of thing where the cell phone goes off and lets the person know where you are but here it was actually explained that the cell phone the cell phone going off was an important thing because it meant that the police were on their way 
And so it is really economical in heightening the tension in that moment for Aaron, but also heightening the tension in that moment, uh, or in a kind of broader sense for the invaders, because you know that the time is ticking down for both of them at this point, which yeah. was really clever. Because then you know, like, it's almost, it would be to the invaders' benefit if the police showed up yes. before before Aaron before kills before them. final confrontation. Like, you're not yes. sure who they're rescuing at yeah, that point. Yeah, they'd at least go to prison rather than having the horrifying deaths that Aaron has in store for them. Um, are there any other points that you wanted to... We've pretty much I think there's hit, just a tiny point, yeah. which is that I get annoyed when people talk about this film as a feminist film in the sense and this is yes i did want to ask you about yeah this. Okay. people so i i watched this film and i went through the various blogs and stuff that are talking about it to see what the general consensus is on it and there was a lot of people talking about the idea that this might be a feminist slasher film which is interesting and on the first watching holds up you have this girl who refuses to be the whimpering non-hero in slasher films you often have a male hero who sadly dies at the end or sacrifices himself so that the the virginal girl can uh end up surviving whereas this film refuses and aaron refuses to submit to such a stereotype the problem for me is that this film throws all the other female characters, all the other women in the plot under the bus in order to make Aaron seem like a strong female character. You see the mother, the mother is taking pills because she's over-emotional. Um, Kelly is basically, well, she's just a, a bitchy stereotype. She is similarly Vicodined up and she's just, she's bad-mouthing everybody. Amy is this kind of odd sorority chick stereotype, um, and all of them, when things go south, just are reduced to screaming and crying and being carried around by the men, other than Aaron. And so, well, what, what about what about Z though? Z is a similar kind of stereotype in the sense that she is the hypersexualized, dangerous femme fatale woman who seems okay. to have seduced Felix into this plot in the sense that she is much more hardcore than he is. There's this moment where <laughs> she really wants to do him, uh, and that's the adult way of saying that, on the bed beside his mother's corpse, and she complains And that's that, how she says it. Yeah, well, yeah. I, mean, she I says, want, she yeah. says, and I quote, I want to fuck you beside your mom, or beside, beside your, your dead, dead mom. mom. And, and Felix says... I'd like something to the effect of no that's that's terrifying why would you do that and she complains that he never wants to do anything interesting although he has the, yeah, the delightful great response. response where it says that does not seem like a fair criticism <laughs> <laughs> and so so she is another kind of anti-feminist trope i think uh in the sense of her being this kind of dangerous hypersexualized um goth character and goth only in the sense of a movie goth i.e she's a brunette who smokes and rolls her eyes uh and has a has wears quite a bit of makeup like that is she is a very odd characterization and wears black lingerie and wears black lingerie yes underneath her clothes that she's doing her killing in it i'm uncomfortable with the film just in the sense that while aaron is a very interesting character she is the film makes her more interesting by making all of the other women complete stereotypes where the men get to be at least mildly competent. The women, the other women in this film just dissolve into wrecks of human beings. I, I mean, most of the, most of the men are pretty useless too, though. They I are. And yeah. I think that's a lot of the point of the movie yeah. is that all of this, all of this horror is happening for a really stupid reason. <laughs> and it's right like it's yeah, all no, you're totally it, right like it's, it is. it's all about this inheritance and as you said felix is a really underwhelming villain yes like he's just kind of had this idea he threw money at a problem expecting it to go away didn't really understand what he was asking for in ending up surrounded by all of it he ends up dying because he slips on some oil like he his last fight is complete slapstick he is far more comedic than he is villainous i think that a lot of people are made 
to look dumb for the sake of Aaron looking better. Yeah. But I, I do agree that the, the male characters are at least a bit more fleshed out and have, yeah. have a bit more meat on their bones. The, Especially Crispin, you fatty. <laughs> the male characters, they tend to get a little bit more color and characterization. Even Drake, when at just before he dies, he is devoted to the idea, despite the fact that he is very drugged up and has very little blood in him. He's devoted to the idea of going out and saving Crispin, this brother that he seems to hate, and his wife, and finding them in the wilderness. The, the male characters, other than the dad, get pretty fleshed out, and the female characters tend not except, to. Except Tariq. Except, except the dad. That might also be an acting thing as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also Tariq. He doesn't really get much oh, time Tariq, to get fleshed yes. out until yeah. his flesh gets out. Yeah. Yeah, he's mostly just there to be a pincushion. Yeah cute though <laughs> asshole in a pashmina i do like the fact that they killed the filmmaker first like that's that's a that's a fun little joke well yeah because and uh, like he is actually a filmmaker right and the guy mm-hmm. who plays drake is the one who directed drinking buddies and, yep. and things like yeah that. this is this is a kind of indie get together yeah an yeah. indie mumblecore circle jerk yes exactly yes. <laughs> Just to take a step back before we start wrapping things up, just mm-hmm. talking about how stupid this whole plot is. And I mean, stupid, like in terms of... Felix's, Knowingly stupid. Fe- yeah, yeah, Felix's plan is it's just... And this was part of listening to so much uh, of that murder podcast is realizing how like how, how just like stupid murder is. Yep. Like how, how utterly pointless and insane it all is. And yet still, it's this thing that happens that we're super fascinated by but it takes it sometimes takes so little to get people to get to this point that we think is really far away from ourselves and even the characters who are who have started the machine of murder in this movie they're repulsed mm-hmm. by it felix doesn't want to have anything to do with the murder that he's no. committing just using another human being as a tool for doing it and the same is true for crispin like they want to wash their hands of the whole thing they they understand secondhand how barbaric it is but they somehow don't associate their petty actions with the violent outcome because they get to have a distance from it. Yeah, they're so privileged really, that they don't want to take responsibility. Yeah, I think this. that really says something about just like the concept of violence itself that yeah. we want to we want to know that it's there. We want to be able to call upon it, but we want to also have no accountability for it whatsoever. Yeah. That's what makes like drone warfare so fucking terrifying. Just yeah. that distance that we can have from the annihilation of other human beings yeah the idea that you can leave it up to an ai to get this stuff done i which is what makes aaron so interesting yeah because she like she's not i mean she sure she sets up this kevin McAllister style (laughs) swinging axe thing yes but she's killing people with her hands and a hammer like this very basic beginning of 2001 a space odyssey smashing stuff with a stick kind of primal violence and that's what we're celebrating. It's not the violence even that we're celebrating. It's her connection with her own actions. And I think that that's what this film does really well. And I'm going back to something you said way earlier in this conversation where you feel attracted and repulsed by this moment where the entire film kind of gives you a very ambiguous sense that you were supposed to cheer for the violence and revel in the violence and also be off put or put off by the violence um you're supposed to kind of be disgusted and challenged but also really attracted to the idea of having this fantasy of competence this fantasy of power this fantasy of what we watch in the born identity for example of somebody doing really well something that nobody should have that much experience in doing well and that's what i think ultimately is really interesting about this film is that it is quite ambivalent about the exhibition that it's putting forward for us to the extent that at the end of the film they have to give a kind of love betrayal to uh Charlie vincent's character aaron just to make her seem human again. Like we have that moment where she realizes that her boyfriend has put her up to all, or not put her up to all this, but placed her into this position 
and betrayed her, and she has the tears streaming down her face. And this is the moment where we, oh, we realize this is a drama again. This is this is a dramatic moment. We can get back into this character rather than just have this kind of ambivalent, uh, this is cool, but this isn't cool. This is cool, <laughs> but this isn't cool. I uh, way of watching this film. So do you feel like the ending, I mean, I think it's pretty clear with the ending with the cop, with the police officer, Yes, being hit with this <laughs> this final thing that that really is playing off the whole concept of you know the final kill the one that yes usually it's the killer coming back and doing something really awful but in this case well it is actually that it's, yeah it's the killer coming back and it's doing the something killer really coming awful. back and doing something awful but just from from a machine that she's set up earlier and happening to this guy who's really like he hasn't done anything wrong no <laughs> and he seems like he has the most human reaction to this where he's really disturbed by what he's seen. Uh, her do and by all of the bodies that are in this house (laughs) he's really really bothered by it and you see him kind of take a few breaths and then go back to the car and call it in and take a few breaths before he goes to his ultimate death (laughs) he has a very human reaction to all of this where he's just overwhelmed yeah he's probably the death i feel the worst about yeah definitely (laughs) because he's not a boring socialite no (laughs) and he's just he's just doing his job man he's just trying to get through the day god Uh, he was two weeks from retirement all right so i I think that this is a good place to start wrapping this up so uh as always i want to invite you to tell me what rating out of five stars this movie got in your own netflix profile so a reminder one star means you hated it okay two stars didn't like it three stars means liked it four Mm -hmm. stars really liked it and five stars means you loved it and then your MVP for the movie. So your your highlight performer, or if you feel like maybe a, something technical was, oh, was a standard, okay. you can choose one of those as well. Uh, so yeah, rating, rating an MVP. Um, for my rating, I would give it a five, just because I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, despite, it, it obviously has some flaws, it has some drawbacks, but it's it's pretty darn good. It's no great piece of art, but it's a pretty entertaining evening. Mm-hmm. For... The MVP, God, I'm casting about trying to find somebody other than Charney Vincent just because she's so good in this that she's the she's the obvious choice. And I want to choose something other than the obvious choice because ultimately I am a hipster. The direction is really amazing in this in the sense that it is able to get out of a pretty normal script some really interesting moments. Um, but ultimately, I think Charney Vincent has to take the cake. She drives this film forward with so much energy and so much charisma in her performance that she kind of hypnotizes you into going along with her while she does increasingly horrific things and it is only through her quite brilliant performance that you can actually suspend your disbelief but also your morality for a short amount of time and go along with her well if not here then when yeah exactly um (laughs) I think it's strange that I hadn't, when I was choosing mine, I didn't even consider her. Interesting. And not out of like some kind of willful disdain, but I think that probably for the reason that her performance is so great in this right. movie. yeah. Because it's this invisible sort of performance where she's doing everything that she's doing. Yes. And you lose sight of the fact that that's a person acting yeah. that way, right? She, she so inhabits the role that she almost recedes behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's actually really remarkable. So, <laughs> I mean, officially, I'm going to stick to the thing that I'm going to say. But, but so, my rating and MVP, uh, f- I'm going to say four stars. I really, I really liked it. I mean, that's the phrase, right? Really liked it. I think that the movie really benefits from not being called a comedy in Netflix. Yeah, yeah, because I would it works so much better as a delightful surprise. Yeah. If you're waiting for the comedy, you're not going to get comedy. Right. And I think that that's where movies like uh, like Krampus. Yeah. Kind of like that's what people were expecting. They're expecting like a comedy horror instead yeah. of a horror that had some jokes in it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's better to not be expecting that and to, to come into it and, and have that be something that makes it feel different. Because I think that without the comedy, this wouldn't have been as successful as it is. I think no, it's a really crucial It would be a part. pretty boring mo- movie without the comedy. Um, and it would have seemed so much more at like a like a revenge flick, yeah, and not like the the whole commentary on slasher films that it is. Um, so with that in mind, the person who I'd pick for my MVP was Joe Swanberg. So oh okay yeah Drake yeah because the the intensity of the the intensity of the movie lives and dies with 
Aaron, but I think the comedy lives and dies with Drake. Yeah. And how harmlessly evil he is. <laughs> but he's got this kind of like shitty nobility at the same time. <laughs> I thought he was just this really delightful character that kind of got to the root very quickly of how you're supposed to feel about these characters and that yeah. you're not supposed to like any of them. No. Um, it's supposed to be fine that they die. And uh, yeah, I think that he, he really exemplified that and, and got to the really cut to the quick. Where, I fully agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So that's that's your next, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All wrapped up for you. Oh, this has been a lot of fun, Tom. I really appreciate you coming on and I doing really this. I really enjoyed this. Excellent. So yeah, I mean, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell us a bit about what? Tell us a bit about you, what you do, where people can find you. Oh yeah, projects totally. that you're working on. Um, so I work on uh, Hammer Time Horror. Uh, it's a podcast where we go through the back catalog of Hammer Horror films. Hammer Horror, um, if you're not familiar with them, was an old British uh, production company. Um, they did many different types of films, but they're most famous for their horror films. And we're going through uh, and talking about in laborious intellectual detail each and every one of them. And it's a fun time. We talk about uh, the history of the of the production company, the uh, odd cheesiness of the movies, and then also what the movies were trying to say about the society at the time, about other horror movies, that sort of thing. So that's what we're doing. Um, we're only a few episodes in. Um, we just finished, uh, or we finished up season one, and we're just going into production for season two. So that's going to be coming out pretty soon. Um, you can check us out uh, by finding Hammer Time Horror Podcast on. Uh, um, God, I want to say songs. Uh, SoundCloud, SoundCloud on SoundCloud um, and you can also find us on the iTunes podcast oh yeah totally um, you can check us out by finding Hammer Time Horror Podcast at SoundCloud and also uh, on the iTunes podcast registry and please do because we are a small podcast and we're just getting going and we're <laughs> eager as all get out yeah something I forgot to mention last week yeah that I, cause I, I did mention that I quite like your show um, and I get excited when a new one comes out so get on that because your most vocal fan right now is demanding Aww. it um, but also one of the things that impresses me about it is that you're very concise in your episodes like you really have right. it nailed down that it'll be like your your episodes are usually about 40 minutes and I'll listen to the whole thing and I'll be like no way did they pack that much information in <laughs> because then I look like an asshole sitting here making these people listen for <laughs> you know 70 to 90 heavily minutes. edited my friend heavily edited because <laughs> god we go on oh uh, no but it's it's a delight and it's <laughs> uh, not quite pocket-sized but it's 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 a good meal yeah it's a it's a nice little it's a, it's a fine brunch yes exactly um and it's also fun for us because uh riley and i are uh grad students pretentious grad students who study stuff surrounding horror um but we never really talk about horror films in our actual work and so this is a nice way to get that out into the public uh, well yeah absolutely check it out there will be all sorts of links to to the show it's various social media platforms right on our episode notes for this episode all right so thanks again so much tom it's been a real blast it was lovely to be here all right that's everything for this week from the netflix podcast if you liked what you heard today head on over to that uh, that web page that i told you about check us out at netflixblog.wordpress.com to see the rest of the netflix content like show notes articles and reviews you can find us on all sorts of social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix. We're on Twitter at Netflix Pod. You can also find me there at Dylan Clark Moore. You can find Hammer Time Horror at Hammer Time Cast on Twitter. And you can find me at T. Matthew Stewart. Uh, we are also on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. And you can find me on Letterboxd as Dylan Clark Moore. Uh, Letterboxd is, as I've been mentioning for the last few weeks, it's an online media diary to keep track of all the movies and and specials that you've been watching. Uh, it's also the only place where you can see all of the upcoming episodes and all the upcoming movies that we're going to be talking about moving forward. Uh, at least everything I've booked so far. So be sure to check that out. Honestly, Letterboxd is just freaking awesome. So everybody should have it. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. One is by telling all your friends, telling all your family. Uh, a lot of people still don't know what a podcast is. Hell, I do this, and most of the time I don't know what a podcast is. So, uh, yeah, if you know anybody who might be interested in having some conversations or joining in some conversations about movies, about Netflix, then uh, this is certainly a good place to send them. And uh, other things you could do would be heading over to iTunes or whichever podcast platform you use and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you. 
And if you want to see us get bumped up the charts, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you thought. You can also contribute directly to the project by way of our Patreon campaign. It helps take care of, I mean, this this shit ain't free to do it to a, <laughs> to a high quality of standards. So you can pledge your support over at patreon.com. Just search for Netflix or hit the support button at the top of the Netflix blog. Uh, this podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore, and the theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so much, everybody, for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast. And be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet. 